I think it's a blessing for you to be the participants of, I believe, one of the most needful messages that our culture needs today, and I want to talk to you this morning on the coming Judgment Day. Um, find it interesting as we think about this particular thought. I would never turn to the book of Acts to speak on the Judgment Day, but I believe this is what God wanted me to do. Verse number 31, if you look at your text again, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Understanding then that we have this uh, reality, if you would, of the judgment day coming, we would have to look at the text and find out the setting of it, and so if I can just give you the scene of the Apostle Paul and his uh, visit to Athens and what he saw and his desire was, of course, to bring the gospel to him. In verse number 16, if you look at Acts chapter 17, verse number 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was steered in him that he saw a city wholly given to idolatry. And uh, can I share this with you and be honest enough to tell you that with, with, with religion um, can come superstitiousness or that which... Uh, is superstitious, can come out of religion. And that's what was happening. They had all of these uh, idols, if you would, around them, and his desire was to bring them to the place of understanding who God is and then presenting Jesus Christ to them. Um, starting with this setting, I think it's important for us to know that verse number 17 uh, tells us, Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews. Um, and with devout persons, um, and in the market daily with them that met with him. And there were certain philosophers of the Epicureans, and the Stoics encountered him, and uh, some said, What will this babbler say for some? He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection." And the problem with this was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the problem was uh, that if Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and if he would be resurrected, then there was going to be what we would call the judgment day. So this rubbed them the wrong way. We think of these uh, philosophies of our day and, and, and times of all the different things that are out there. The Epicureans, of course, were followers of Ep Epicurus, uh, was a philosopher, um, and his philosophies led him um, to a situation where he believed there was no divine intervention. There were there was this religious uh, skepticism, if you would. The Epicureans or Epicureanism is a form of hedonism, and hedonism is the pleasure to be uh, pleasure would be its sole intricate goal. There was this goal, uh, and it flourished, by the way, uh, in in the late Hellenistic 
era, during the Roman era, Epicurean communities were established and they were established in places such as Antioch. And so when Paul was coming into a city, he would find a lot of times these uh, philosophers that would sit around and these were well-known individuals. They were known as the educators of the day. They were the ones that people looked to and they thought, well, they must be leading us the right way and they were not. And Paul was concerned about this. He also faced the Stoics. These were followers of Zeno, or Zeno, however you say it, um, was the founder of it. And he taught that his disciples, um, that the means of happiness consisted in bringing himself into harmony with the course of the universe. No matter what trial comes, no matter what difficulty comes, we deal it without emotion. We deal with it. Uh, with indifference to all of these things that are going uh, around us or are happening to us. And these were uh, people that he encountered and that he would actually preach to them uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look, at it says in verse number 19, And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. Uh, we would know, therefore, what things th- these things mean. Um, and, and for all the Athens, um, or the Athenians, uh, and the strangers, which were spent their time, and and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And so they were always having itchy ears, desiring to find some new thing to be taught. I think that we are looking at that today because some of you haven't even put your phone down since you've been in the building. You're looking for something new, something to to uh, excite your eyes or to uh, move your emotions. And this is the way the culture was at the time that Paul was facing those that were in Athens. And Paul then stood in the midst of Mars Hill, verse number 22, and he said, said to the man of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. And let me just say that when people get really hurt or confused or go through a, a hard time where they're drained physically, mentally, and spiritually, they sometimes lean toward religion, but sometimes they lean toward that which is superstitious to be able to help them through their difficult times when they can go to the God of heaven and they can seek him. And they can actually draw strength from him who is the God of heaven. And that's why it's important for us to know what the Bible says rather than what religion teaches us. Uh, I think during the times that we're in today, we have all of this happening around us. I think verse 23 says, For as I passed by and I beheld your devotions, I found an altar which was inscribed or inscription to the unknown God whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. So he's giving us, if you would, an understanding of the God of heaven, but he's confronting those people that are faced with difficult times and they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I find myself uh, looking around today, and the more that I watch the news and the more I see in our culture today, I think we're in great need of a revival within our hearts. There's a a great need for us to be able to seek God consistently and to be able to draw strength from Him so that we can continue on to do what God called us to do. And so, and I just wanted to tell you that ever since I was a young boy, 
uh, and I've come to Christ, I knew that I was going to be judged by him someday. And, uh, and that judgment day is coming. And I think it can be seen through uh, the fires that are in the, in, the, in the White House with all of the arguments, but it also can see uh, through the fires and the floods that are happening around the world and all of the things. And this is showing us that God is not pleased with man. And again, he will judge us. And I am not your judge this morning. I don't come to you with some condemnation that's trying to make you feel bad because you're going to face God someday. I'm coming to you as a loving pastor that says, you need to get your heart right with God if it's not right with God because judgment day is coming during the 1960s the presidential campaign 1960 I wasn't even born yet John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport the speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives and this is what he would always say one day in 1789 the sky of Hartford darkened ominously And some of the representative glancing out the windows feared that the end was at hand, 1789. Quelling a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose to his feet and he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. And if it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. And if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty, therefore I wish to bring the candles in. Because if it goes completely dark, I will continue on. Rather than fearing what is to come, we are able to faithfully continue till Christ returns. Instead of fearing the dark, we are to be the lights of the world. And we are to watch and we are to wait, and we are to endure, and we are to continue with the great commission until the judgment day comes. We are to occupy until he comes. There is no greater need for you to be able to do the will of God and the work of God now. There is no greater need because there are people that are in darkness and hurting, and they don't know what to do. And the leaders are lost. Our leaders don't even know where to lead us. But yet there are those that can see and have the light. So I must speak on the judgment of God this morning. And I want to tell you that the Bible speaks of seven judgments, according to Dr. Braithwaite. He was my professor at Northland when I was there in the age, I was around 35, 36. I had classes with him, and he wrote... uh, just incredible amount of information concerning the judgments of God. But he gave us seven of them to think about. The judgment of, his, of the believer's uh, sins on the cross is in John chapter 12, verse number 31. Was the first judgment of the believers there is that he brought out. Also, there's the believer's self-judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 31. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to judge ourselves. Uh, the third one was the judgment seat of Christ, and we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 10. We also see the judgment of the nations uh, at the return of Christ Jesus. We see that in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 32. Then we see the judgment of Israel at the return of Jesus Christ. We see that in Ezekiel 20, verse number 37. We see also the judgment of angels after the millennium, millennial kingdom. We see that in Jude, Jude verse number 6. Then there is the judgment of the wicked 
Uh, at the great white throne judgment, we see that, of course, in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. But I want to simplify it for you this morning and, and, and focus on two, if I can, of these judgments. And the first one would be the judgment seat of Christ. And we're talking about this verse number 31, where it says, Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. What is that talking about? I believe it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, that he is going to judge the, the, the household of the Lord first, the household of God, and judgment must come to us first. That is in the order, if you would, chronologically, that the Christians will be judged first. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and every one may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. I think when it comes to the understanding of the Corinth judgment seat, one man said this, that the city of Corinth was a famous for the Isthmus Games, a festival of athletic contests, an event similar to the Olympic Games that we have nationally today. At the end of each contest or event, the athletes would appear before a large, uh, decorated platform called the Bema, seat. On this platform, uh, the emperor sat on a judgment seat and gave out the rewards to the victorious athletes of their years uh, of dedicated and discipled or disciplined training of their perseverance and endurance in the heat of the competition and in heat of the battle. That there was, at that particular time, uh, what we would call as Christians the Bema Seat of Christ, uh, that there'll be a day when we actually will stand before Him and He will reward us according to what is good and what is bad. Then there is another judgment that we must just present to you this morning uh, to give us the difference between the two. Uh, I, I call it the final judgment. It's the great white throne judgment. It is not... Uh, the judgment seat of Christ, because only the Christians will be at the judgment seat of Christ, and only the lost will be present there at the great white throne judgment. And it is mentioned in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea was given up, and the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so using that understanding that it is the final judgment, uh, F.B. Meyer uh, wrote this concerning the final judgment is depicted in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. God's people will not appear at that bar. All the human family will be arraigned, save those whose names are in the book of life. Death and Hades will surrender their contents. What a marvelous audience, he says. This throne is great because of the destinies to be decided. 
The white was because of the immaculate purity of the judge, who is Jesus Christ the Lord Himself, who will be none other than your Lord and Master. The book will be surely included uh, where, where the conscience, not only God's Word, but also the table of memory. But also, it's interesting because he goes on to say that the gospel preacher must avail himself of any circumstances in his surroundings that will enable him to arrest the attention of his audience. That the preacher must do that today. He must meet them where they are and take them with, with, with him to the realms of thought which they are not familiar. Paul was wise to begin with the altar to the unknown God and took him to the heavens to say, I'm going to speak to you about this God who you don't know. Because without an understanding of who he is, you don't know who you are. That was the desire of the Apostle Paul and to present to them. Around them stood the most exquisite, uh, he goes on to say, the most exquisite temples ever reared to human geniusness. But these were not the home of God. He seeks the, the lowly, contrite heart, not the Jews alone, but wherever man is found, and on whatever intellectual plane men the world over and over, our brothers, he hath made of one blood of all nations. And the arrangement of divine providence has been contrived to lead men to God. And if they feel after him in reverence and true desire, he will be found of them in all men of his offspring. But, but, but only those who receive the Son of God into their hearts become really his son. Repentance is the act of the will. And therefore, it may be commanded, God can overlook much that is hurtful and evil because he loves the world and deals with men according to their light. And we may rejoice, therefore, that we, he will judge mankind by the man. I think it's important to look at, if you would, verse number 30. It says, in the times of the ignorance God winked at, it's what he's speaking of, but now he commanded all men everywhere to repent. And why? Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge every person. John Wesley wrote this. He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. How fitly does he speak this to their supreme court of justice? By the man, so he speaks, suiting himself to the capacity of the hearers, whereof he hath given assurance to all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And in God raising Jesus, demonstrated hereby that he was to be the glorious judge over all. And we, by no means, to imagine that this was all which the apostle intended to have said, but the idleness of some of his hearers and the ill temple, temper, if you would, of others would cut him short. And there will be no unsaved people at the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be no saved people at the great white throne judgment. 
And I see this in the Old Testament because it says, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I know the Old Testament speaks of it because Ecclesiastes tells us in chapter 12, in the latter part of that chapter, in concluding all of what Solomon had written, he wrote this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work unto judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And you be a leader of the Jews, you being a born-again Christian from America, and you know not these things? I think about this very seriously, because we will all stand before God someday. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and giving him a name which is above every name, and that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I think Hebrews chapter verse uh, chapter 9, verse number 27, is the one that comes to mind as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto Salvation. I can't help but think about what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he hath dwelled in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. And herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that fears is not made perfect in love. What the Bible speaking of here is you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and have actually presented him as your God, and as your God that he can actually help you in time of need. I think the revelation is what I want to talk about. First of all, when he presents, if you would, the revelation of God to them in verse number 24, he says, God hath made the world and all the things therein, and seeing that he is the Lord of heaven, of earth, uh, and, and, the, and the earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And so I really believe this is the Apostle Paul revealing to the men that were listening to him this great revelation of the Lordship is that God has created all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The Bible makes it really clear that all is God's. It's not yours not your life to live and live it up and live happiness and, and be able to do whatever you choose to do and party and so on. No, you are not to do that. And so he brings this out and helps them to understand the lordship. But I see also verse number 25, he says, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. And he's seeing he gives to, to all life and, and breath 
and, and, and all things. And I, I see this as a revelation of his omnipotence is that God is the God of heaven and he is the God who knows all things and he is the God who is all powerful and he is the one that has made everything and he doesn't need your help. And a lot of times when we volunteer to do something for God, it's wonderful, but he doesn't need your help. He is God. Said earlier today that God can do in just a few seconds what you've been trying to do your whole lifetime because He is God and He is all powerful. He keeps everything intact. He is not only the creator, but He is the sustainer of all things. He could have shifted the winds and stopped the fire, but He chose not to, to those in Maui. Can I understand it all? No but I'm underneath a God who knows all and is powerful enough to do anything. He can stop the floods, but he decides not to at times. And by the way, every single one of us would be consumed if it wasn't for his power to sustain and to keep things the way they are. Do you realize how close the sun is and how we would burn if we just got a little closer to it? They all... Fear, use fear to try to scare you that we're entering into a global warming. They're all, oh, it was like 100 degrees. Well, guess what? It was summertime. When I grew up in the 1960s, I went outside because it was summertime. And I played outside without a shirt on and without shoes on because it was summertime. And even as a little boy, I used to sweat because it got over 100 degrees. But now all of a sudden, you know, we're going to stop everything by just putting up some of these windmills. That's going to stop everything. You know how much faith it takes to think that way? I see what they're doing to the fields. They're saying, God, you're not in charge. I am. Every time they take one of our fields and they build all that stuff, they're shaking their fist at God and saying, we're going to control this, and you can't. Well, my goal is to help you to understand that our God is bigger than you can ever imagine. And this is the desire of the Apostle Paul was to look around and see all of these altars and all of these gods and all of this superstition. And he says, wait a minute now. Can I present to you the God of heaven? He is the Lord. I love the book of Genesis because the first three chapters, it says God made. In fact, the first chapter of Genesis alone, it says, and God made, and God made, and God made, and God made. And then when it gets to the third chapter, it closes out, and the fourth chapter begins, and it says, and the Lord God. Do you know why it says Lord God? And from that point on, it talks about Lord God. It's because he is Lord over all, whether you like it or not. Whether the White House likes it or not, God is in control. I cannot imagine... Where we have come. I watch some of the debates that are going on in the White House, and I can't believe how ungodly people are these days. And to think that 
Money is the answer. To think that power is the answer. Oh my goodness, they are deceived. And Paul, he wanted them to help them understand that this God is neither worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. His omnipotence. Look at verse 26, because we see his omniscience. And he hath made one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, there is a place called China. There is a place called the Middle East. There is a place called America. And it's amazing that God has allowed this to happen and he has determined all of this and he has appointed it. And to understand that there is just one blood, but many different races. Pretty powerful understanding of his omniscience. He is God. He knows all things. and He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need the White House's help. Look at verse number 27, that they should seek the Lord if, they, if haply they might feel after and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That's the omnipresence of God is that he is everywhere at all time, both past and now, present and in the future. He's already there. He already knows what's going to happen because he is God. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. I think a lot of times we forget how big our God is. Look at this. Interesting. Verse number 20, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. It's the revelation of God is what he's doing here. He's, he's revealing to them of his lordship, of his omnipotence, of his omniscience, of his omnipresence. And here, of his sovereignty and of our being, as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring, bringing up uh, their own poetry, poetry uh, their own person who writes poetry and giving them something to, to chew on of a contemporary way of saying, I'm talking about the God who is sovereign over all things. In verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought to think that the Godhead is like unto gold. We ought not to think that it's gold or silver, some kind of graven image, by graven by art or man's device. And then he says in verse number 30, I think we shift from a revelation to the reality that in the times of this ignorance God winked at, he may have allowed it all to happen, but now he's commanding that every person repent. Repentance is for you and for me. And judgment must first come to the house of God if you're going to wait until TikTok repents. You're going to wait a long time. And if you're waiting for your neighbor to repent, you're probably going to wait a long time. So it's time for you to repent, dear friend. Verse 31 is really the revelation of everything and the reality because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Because there really is only one that is good enough to judge. Remember how they brought that woman, the Pharisees, and said she must die. And Jesus stooped down. He began to write in the sand. 
And then he said, where are your accusers? Because they all left, right? You that were without sin, you can throw the first stone. Let me tell you something. There is only one who can judge, and that is Jesus Christ. And sometimes we feel like we can judge. And we should not be that way. We should love one another and not judge one another. And a person who is judging someone continuously doesn't have the love of the Father in him. It's important that we understand verse number 31 a little further. It says, Whereof he hath given us assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. This is the confidence that I have that there is going to be a judgment. It's because Jesus walked out of the grave alive. Here's the sermon, and I'll be all done. So the next few verses. It says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, he, We will hear him again of this matter. And so Paul departed from among them, and howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed among which was Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I have never heard those names preached on before. But they are part of the family of God because they believed. And so the first thing I would actually speak to you seriously about is as you're listening to me speak about the judgment of God, would you mock me? Would you call me just a babbler? That's what they did to the Apostle Paul when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Some mocked. This is disbelief. There were those that did not believe what he was speaking on. They just came and perhaps heard because they were coming along with everybody else. It was kind of a up thing to be able to mock man, the man of God, to be able to uh, make fun of the Apostle Paul. And so they came along and some of them walked away mocking him. What does it mean to mock somebody? Well, I think someone said to make fun of. But I really believe it's Deeper than that, it's not to believe a word that person's saying. To think that they're some kind of a silly person who doesn't have any brains. And so they turn away from him and mocked him. But there was another group, and others said, we will hear thee again in this matter. There is not only disbelief, but there is delay. And this is really the apparent uh, uh, day in which we live, is the desire to delay for another day. Uh, I will hear him again. I'll come again and hear him. I don't know necessarily if today is a day of salvation for me, but I'll listen to you. I think it's important when we give people a track. I was working on a fellow up that works at, works at, at uh, Quick Trip up here, and just a kind man from out west, and every time I talk about it, he knows more about what I did last week than most of what you did. For some reason, he knew I was on vacation. We came back. He looked at Tammy and I and said, welcome back and everything. the greatest thing would be that he put his trust in Jesus Christ. I hope he wouldn't mock me. I wouldn't even say, here comes that religious person again. He's overzealous, you know. Or maybe he would say, I've got tomorrow. You don't know if you have tomorrow or not. It's the way things are going. This could be my last sermon. We don't know. 
at least from this pulpit. So some delay. We will hear thee again of this matter. I think it's important for us to be careful when we're witnessing to people that we ought to be sensitive to what they're telling us and we ought to read their body language and we ought to be sensitive enough to turn away because we may turn them further away from God if we're not careful, if we come with our belligerent attitude and, and our hierarchy and our feelings perhaps. Say, well, I told them. Yeah, you probably told them too much, too strongly, too fast. You didn't win him. To Christ. He maybe pushed him over the edge. You never know. I think it's important for every single one of us in this room to realize that it is our responsibility to tell them, but it is God's responsibility, and He will save them if they yield to Him. But we don't have any business dealing with a man's feelings and emotion. God deals with that. I can tell him the truth. You've heard the old story. You can bring a horse. To water, but you can't make them drink. So true. And you can bring the living water to men, but you can't make them drink. It's up to them to do it. It's important for us to understand that some might just say, I'll hear him another day, but they may not have that second opportunity. I remember Pastor Bodie, he was here for my ordination service. I was here in the church for eight years before I was ordained. I was licensed to preach by a church over in Utica, but I was ordained here eight years after I was a pastor and brought Pastor Bodie here. And Pastor Bodie said he was in his office one day studying and he got a phone call to go see a man. And he didn't go see him. And the next Sunday he got up into the pulpit and he, and he had apologized and said, I, I have to tell you, I'm so sorry I didn't go see him. God was prompting my heart to go see him. And the man passed away without Christ. Does it bother you that people are going to hell? I was thinking, I sat down with Marge and, and Jane, and they're probably listening this morning, and I sat down with Jane, and Jane's daughter had passed away. I looked at Jane with great emotion and great feeling because she did everything she could do to present the gospel to her daughter. And her daughter said, don't talk about me about that to me anymore. And she passed away. She chose not to receive Christ. But there are those that perhaps are sitting on the edge. And maybe you're sitting on the edge today. Can I, can I tell you that it's time to get off the edge and come on in, the water's fine. Jesus is real. His spirit is powerful. God is on his throne. And don't think you can delay. And then there were those that actually said yes. So we have disbelief, some mocked. We have delay, procrastination. We will hear thee again on this matter. But then there were those that said yes. They made the decision. They were decision-oriented people. I trusted Christ and his purity, his death, his burial, 
his resurrection. It's interesting when we think about this because it is really the gospel of Jesus Christ in which they are rejecting here. And these men mocked. Some walked away. But then there were some. Look at verse number 34. How be it certain men clave unto him and believed. I like the word clave here. It's the same word for cleave. Remember how it says that you're supposed to leave your mother and your father and cleave to your wife? It's the same word. I've been cleaving to Tammy for almost 40 years. Probably before that, because when we were dating, I already gave her my heart when we were dating. But that's how it is when you come and enter into a covenant, a marriage altar. And we talk about how that you just glue two boards together and let them sit for a couple days, and then you can't peel them apart. They're, you know, there is no parting, if you would. It's just always been cleaving. And that's the same word used here, that they cleaved and clave to the Lord. And they followed Paul. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know this, that there is much more to say about the judgment of God. There's much more to say about the judgment seat of Christ. There's much more to say about the great white throne judgment. But the reality is that there is a judgment day coming. And the question is, are you going to mock it? Are you going to put it off for another day? Or are you going to make that decision today? I hope you'll make the decision today. I'm not talking about being religious, being Baptist, being Lutheran, being Catholic, being whatever. I'm talking about being a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and let him save your soul from hell and from judgment to come. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, that made complete sense. I need to be saved. And maybe this morning you would say, you know what, I'm not going to play any more games. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I know that there were those that cleaved to Paul and cleaved to the Lord. And I know that there are some here today that are without Christ. And my desire is for you to say yes to him. I need him. I want to come to him. And so if there's anybody here this morning would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure about my own salvation. I know what it means to be saved but I'm not sure I am. Would you please pray for me? I won't point you out, but I'll pray for you. Is there one, someone here this morning who would say, Pastor, I'm struggling in this area. Would you pray for me? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Is there anyone? Just lift up your hand and say, I need Jesus Christ in my life. Is there anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Well, this message was for you, Christian. We talk about the great white throne judgment, yes, but there's also the judgment seat of Christ. You must also think about that. And maybe this morning you need to come and just ponder these things with the Lord. Deal with things in your own heart. There was a time and a place that you said yes to Jesus. But now it's time to return. Why don't you come? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand to your feet? Let's have an invitation. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.